0: Welcome to That's Awesome ID. My name is Leslie Early, and each week I will be speaking with a different guest and learning about one thing they think is awesome in the field of instructional design. Okay, today I have instructional designer Mandy Brown on the show, and we are going to talk about neurodiversity and how it might inform our design process as instructional designers. So, thank you so much for joining me, Mandy. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, So before we jump into our conversation, did you want to take a moment to just introduce yourself and say a little bit about you?
1: Yeah, sure. I am an instructional designer, like you said. I have about 10 years of experience in in various ways, Um, most of it actually with uh, the justice system and working with learners who got in trouble with the law. Um, and lately I've been working with Berlitz to create language learning content for adults. Um, we've been working on some asynchronous stuff and some virtual instructor led stuff and it's been fun. Yeah.
0: Cool. Um, and yeah, so the, the reason, um, we're here to chat is cause, uh, I noticed you tend to post, well, not, I mean, I won't say you post all the time, but f- Rel- with relative frequency, you post about um, neurodiversity and, and, and how that affects your life and what that means to you. But, um, And I, I just really appreciate that because I also consider myself to be a neurodiverse person. And, and I feel like this is not something that we often talk about or see people talking about publicly. But I do think it affects, um, obviously, us personally, but also can affect how our, you know, design process. And we can't assume that our learners are not neurodiverse. So, but before we jump in, I, I did want to um maybe set a baseline because maybe not everybody knows what that means. Um, so if you had to give a brief definition of neurodiverse or the opposite neurotypical, um, how would you define those for the listeners?
1: Um, gosh, well, for a really long time I thought I was neurotypical. So apparently my definition is off. Um but for me, um, neurodivergence means that my brain works really differently than a lot of other people. Um, a lot of people consider um, like gifted and talented, um, you know learners in special education. all of those are, you know, on one level or, or another um, neurodivergent. And for me, it's been um, it's been really nice recognizing that I am, not typical in how my brain works. Um, I, I I told my husband when I, when I finally figured out what was going on, that it felt like, it felt like I'd been running in the wrong pair of shoes my entire life. And now I'm, I'm suddenly running in the correct pair of shoes. And I'm like, Oh, oh, this makes more sense Mm -hmm. Um, instead of, you know, Mandy is just rude because she doesn't care about social cues. Now I can say like, no, I actually don't pick up on social cues very well because my brain isn't wired for that.
0: Um, Yeah. So, so from my understanding for you, for your own personal experience, this is something relatively new that you learned about yourself,
1: correct? Yeah. So my daughter had, um, Like some a really hard time in um, during COVID, and still has a hard time. But we noticed it really, really prominent with her being an at-home learner, Mm -hmm. and her dad was a teacher at the school with her. And so, anytime she had problems before COVID, the teacher would just you know go to the music room and talk to your dad, and he would talk her down. And (laughs) we should have taken that as a cue that something was going on because in other public school systems that probably would have meant like getting her diagnosed and and getting someone to check in. Um, but because they were already accommodating her and stuff, we just, it didn't occur to us until we had her at home with us. And I was like, something is wrong. like something's not working well at all. Um, I started looking into it and finding like her sensory problems and stuff. And I came across, um, when, uh, Autism for women, basically, Mm -hmm. like that autism in women has been, you know, underdiagnosed a whole lot because uh, socially, those are acceptable things to have from women, right? Like being shy and quiet or, or really being into your books or, or whatnot. And I read off some things expecting my husband to go yeah that's totally Zoe Mm -hmm. and I read it off and said you know so what do you think and he went yeah that's you um (laughs) and so my daughter and I were diagnosed
0: (laughs) wow yeah yeah um
1: but it's becoming um a trend that that we're seeing lately is a lot of women like in their 30s plus finding out like oh actually this yeah. is this is why I struggled um, which uh, is unfortunate but I'm also really grateful to know now
0: yeah I I just speaking for myself the re- the way I discovered my own ne- neurodivergence as being a teacher I would um, uh, I'm sure other teachers can relate but you have to sometimes fill out uh, questionnaires about your students if they're mm-hmm. going through a diagnosis process and so As I was looking through the questionnaire and answering these questions about one or two students of mine, I'd be like, actually, this applies to me. This has been applying to me since, you know, since I was however old. So yeah, it's, it's, and I was also quite old uh, Mm (laughs) in my thirties. So, but it's, it's a relief to know that there are um, underlying mechanisms that explain some behaviors that maybe didn't I didn't have a good explanation for prior to that, so thank you for sharing your story. By the way, that's, that's yeah, really great. So I guess using your own personal experience, you know, now that you know a little bit more about yourself, and now that you're in an instructional design role, how does um, this newfound, you know, awareness, how does that inform your design process?
1: Well. It's been really some some things I've already designed for neurodivergency without even recognizing it um, because my brain is already there. But I've been trying really hard lately to think about the ways that I learn best um, for my own my own brain wiring and and recognizing where that works in other things. So, for instance, I can't do a whole lot of sensory stimulation. During something like so, if there's a billion colors, or if there's a lot of sound, heck, if there's even like a weird perfume in the air, Mm -hmm. like that can be too much for me because I'm trying to learn something while taking in all the sensory input that I can't actually filter out. Mm -hmm. Having questions that are very um, to the point and not something that is implied helps um, because anytime there's implied information, I miss it. So like, for instance, I was in a virtual instructor-led training and someone wanted us to just very quickly answer a yes or no question. Um, And the yes or no question was like, do you have an idea for this? And she like, you know, Mandy, do you have an idea for this? And I, yes, I do. And then like, I expected the popcorn to keep going Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. someone else. And she, it was really awkward. She, she was like, well, what is it? Right. But that, that implied like, what is your idea wasn't in her question to begin with. And so it, it put me, in this weird, awkward space of like, oh crap, like I missed another social cue and like, now I feel weird. And now like, I wonder if my, my cohort thinks I'm rude or mm-hmm. like, so it pulls me out of being a learner and puts me into more of a, like navigating the social dynamic around me. Um, and so as an as a designer I try to create less instances where that might happen
0: yeah less Um, ambiguity I I have to say what you're describing I I know that feeling of like oh no um like for you it was oh I missed this social cue or whatever the case may be but then now you're totally taken out of focusing on the point of the lesson and now you're focusing on yourself and like did I do this wrong? Like what's wrong mm-hmm. with me? It's very easy to go into that sort of rumination, at least for me. Yeah. I don't know if you felt, felt the no, same No, totally. Way. Cause yeah. then you're
1: also like, oh no, does the instructor think I'm rude? Like, yeah. am I going to have to help this relationship and like ease the, the damage I might have done simply because I didn't catch up on, on the subtext that was there. Right.
0: Well, I think that's a noble goal then, to, you know, now that you know that about yourself and and knowing that maybe other learners are also in the same situation to try to take any of the ambiguity out of those types of questions. So I guess I have a follow-up question for that. That wasn't really an op- – it wasn't explicitly an open-ended question, but in a way it was an open-ended question. Do you – how do you have an opinion about open-end questions? Or, <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, it would have been fine for the instructor to say, like, we're going to have a rapid-fire, you know, one sentence: what's your idea? Like, that I would have been like, oh, here is my idea. Yeah. Um, but when it's just a yes or no, and there's this implied, like, okay, this person's going to give me more information behind the question, just ask that other question that has that implied subtext. Um, And this is also something that bugs me about assessments. So for me, if if you give the opportunity for me to take the assessment Mm -hmm. at the very beginning and I pass, I shouldn't have to go through and do the lesson.
0: Fair. (laughs) I can't really argue with that. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Right. Like my logic is that there's this trust that I have with whoever's built out the experience that the assessments will actually measure what they're supposed to measure. Mm -hmm. And so it proves that I don't need to learn that thing because I did the assessment. So it's like, and it's I, I don't want to call out LinkedIn Learning, but that totally <laughs> happens, right? Like you go to the you go to the quizzes and you answer them, and then you don't get the you don't get the certificate until you've watched the videos.
0: Yeah. And yeah. More kind of like a, <laughs> a a butts and seats uh, metric than an actual. Metric. Yeah. But I also think that that's that that very video oriented. I don't know how to it's really, you're just watching a video, taking a quiz, watching a video, taking a quiz. Like that's a whole, yeah. Anyway, I have thoughts about that. but
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, certainly, certainly I appreciate the LinkedIn learning ones that are like, I gave you some project files and like work through and create something. Cause I really like those. Cause then I can actually like say, put that on my, my portfolio Mm -hmm. and be like, look at my project management skills that I did on this, um, you know, case study kind of a thing. Uh, but one thing I do really appreciate about LinkedIn learning is that I can speed them up. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I can't do slow. Um, my brain is working too fast. Mm -hmm. And so if I can speed up the, the video to my own speed, like then I, then I can actually concentrate better. Um, and it drives my husband pretty crazy. Right. <laughs> like the other day I was looking up how to fix uh, something and I, you know, pulled up a YouTube tutorial and, and listened to it. And it was 15 minutes that I made into seven. Right. Like right. it went really, really fast. And at the end of it, I was like, okay, I'm ready. I can do this thing. And he just was like, wait, what's the first step? Like, How did you do that? Um, But it's because my brain works like fireworks, like those fireworks that at the end actually have more fireworks. And so the only way to kind of short circuit that for me is to go fast Mm -hmm. Um, instead of like letting my brain find all the various webs that connect to that one idea the presenter is bringing up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I find myself getting – if I don't – I'm the exact same way. I listen to things at twice speed all the time. At least 1.5, sometimes twice. It depends on how familiar I am with the subject. But um, I find if I don't do it that fast, I will just – yeah. Maybe it's the same. Maybe it's what you're describing. I would never have called it fireworks, but I feel like – um I'm like the kid in T-ball that was like in the outfield like chasing butterflies because it was like the <laughs> time between batters me. yeah it was mm-hmm. just too long and like there wasn't enough activity going on so I just couldn't pay attention. Uh yeah, that that's that's where I am with it. Yeah, twice <laughs> speed.
1: Well, it's uh I was watching a video on on Communicating with autistic individuals, and obviously, autism is a spectrum. So everyone's um, everyone's experience is a little bit different, and what works for me isn't going to work for every autistic person. But um, the presenter said something about how communication is a is meant to get to the end of something for autistics, and so he gave the example of going on a walk, like for him going on the walk is getting from point A to point B, but in most social settings, it's actually the goal is to go with someone. Mm -hmm. So like he'd go on walks with people and be like a mile ahead because for him, it means getting there. But actually for the person he's walking with, it means going together. And that just feels like a perfect like metaphor for how I tend to communicate because I'm ready to get to the first thing and then the next thing and the next thing. And I forget that I'm supposed to go on this like journey with someone. Um, So for instance, in my like team chats, I will like start into like, Hey, do we know what the freelancers are doing for X, Y, Z? And like, have you talked to the writers about this? And how do I do this thing with this image? And then I'll go, Oh, also good morning. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because I forgot that you're supposed to start with a greeting, right? Um, mm-hmm. So things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way, I feel like I should clarify. I don't think I said at the top. I I have not been diagnosed with autism. I'm not on the autism spectrum, but I uh, have ADHD. So that so I think there's a lot of overlap there. But yeah. I just want to clarify. So yeah. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? mm classic ADHD moment. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess. So like, yeah, so we've talked a little bit about, um, you know, h- how we're communicating, like, uh, making sure you're very clear and what you're asking of the learner as far as like stating questions, um, maybe allowing um, people to self-assess before you mm-hmm. force them to go through like a locked navigation learning experience. Um, same goes for allowing people to choose the speed at which, like uh, I also am not a fan. In storyline, you still can't choose the speed at which uh, you listen to narration. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, I wonder if there's any other things that stick out to you as being like, Uh, this is something I tend to incorporate in my design or any tips that uh, you can think Mm -hmm. of for people who maybe wouldn't, um, who maybe wouldn't, you know, think of that right away. Yeah,
1: I, well, and it's the thing, like when we said we were going to chat about this, I was like, I actually don't know any research that people are doing with neurodivergency and learning Mm -hmm. design. Like we, we look at universal, um, design and and a lot of times it's things like you know colorblindness and having subtitles for um for the hearing impaired or you know making sure that the language hits whatever literacy level the, the learner has. And mm-hmm. these are all really like worthwhile things but for like neurodivergency and having your you know your brain is wired a little differently I haven't really been able to find much. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's it's disappointing because in like the public school system, you turn eighteen and you suddenly like don't have a problem, right? Because the paperwork right. has has graduated you out, but that's not how how things work, and and we have to come up with our own ways of um, our own strategies for for dealing with things. And I would really appreciate seeing assessments that kind of let those strategies be valid for instance I found it was it was actually an assessment for an interview like it's one of those job assessment things um but it had something like you know memorize the names of these people right and they give you like pictures and like in no way is that ever going to be something that anyone will really need to do
0: yeah.
1: um, like I could go onto LinkedIn and look at their profile picture and be like, oh yeah, that's Leslie. Like that's a valid way of figuring out someone's name whenever I don't have the ability to memorize it. And so I ended up taking my phone and just taking a picture of it because like, how silly is it that I'm being asked this assessment question that isn't um, one, I don't know what it measures but yeah. also like there isn't a way for my strategies to be incorporated there. And so I'm not sure what strategies those would be for other things, but having having those experiences be validated and having the like, oh yeah, you got the answer right, but you came through it in this totally other way needs to be valid too, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that makes me think of like different... Oh, I, I better watch what I say. I don't want to get into learning styles because that's not really what I mean. But like, <laughs> Yeah, not
1: learning styles. That's not, not what I'm talking about Not learning styles, all. but like
0: uh, 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 um, maybe flexibility in how people are being assessed. That's just – I'm just having this thought as I'm saying it out loud, but like, you know, rather than writing out your answers, if you're more comfortable speaking, you know, like if you're more or the vice versa, if you're not comfortable speaking about things, then maybe it's easier for you to organize your thoughts by writing them down, you know? So like, this is very informal what I'm describing, like not typically (laughs) what you would see in an e-learning module or something, but still, I I think you're making a valid point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But like role plays, right? Like if you're having a role play assessment in, you know, in person, which isn't going to happen for a while and it's a call center, no one should be worried about where my eye contact is, but you may still see instructors saying things like, well, make sure that you're making eye contact and, and things like that. It's, uh, yeah, like to have actually have the assessment be measuring the thing that you want someone to learn, and not be asking them to to mask on top of learning the thing, um, and, and also like being open to stems off the side. Like, so as I was talking to you, and I was clicking mm-hmm. on things, and you were like, "Mandy, I can hear all that. You can't <laughs> do that." I was like, oh, okay, I'll find a quieter one. Um,
0: but, and you did find it's been very quiet ever since. So thank yes. you. I, I really appreciate it. It saves yes. me a lot of work in editing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but making those accommodations in, in other ways too. Um, one thing I really like about the fact that I'm remote is that I, you know, can turn off my camera and I don't have to mm-hmm. wonder whether or not my face is showing the the facial expression that is the emotion I want to prove, you know, provide for the people around me um, that I can stem off camera if I need to. Mm-hmm. It drives me a little crazy when people insist I have my camera on. but that happens fewer and fewer now that I'm I'm in a different work environment. Um, but things like that, recognizing that not everyone's brain is is made in the same way.
0: Yeah, and I think um, before we wrap up here, I think actually all the things that we're describing, make things a lot easier for people who are not neurotypical. But I think they also provide a little bit of relief even for just neurotypical people. Like like all of the things we've described probably would benefit a lot of people who maybe don't categorize themselves as neurodiverse. Like not being forced to be on camera, allowing yourself you know, to move around and do things that you need to do as long as you're actively engaged with you know the call, um allowing free navigation, allowing listening at different speeds, like yeah, it's just good design, right like right exactly um it is a little it is a little sad now that you mention it that there isn't more um, research out there about this and best practices, but huh. One day, if if we get a PhD, I guess. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, I guess if people wanted to reach out to you and, you know, continue the conversation, where is a good place to connect with you? Oh, LinkedIn's
1: the best place. Um, I'm on it on a pretty regular basis. Um, I'm not an expert in any of this, but I'm happy to chat with anybody.
0: Yeah. Disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, neither of us are experts in any of this.
1: I'm only an expert in my own experience.
0: Exactly. Which is all we can be really. Um, and but if there are people out there who have more research or resources, I mean I would love to see them. So um yeah. So so thank you so much, Mandy, for for joining me today. Yeah, glad I could be here.